I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me once again to the Gospel of Luke, to the end of chapter 20, and we will read a few verses into chapter 21 uh, this morning. Basically two stories, two people, really two categories of people that we're going to be looking at this morning, and Luke puts these two stories next to one another to form a deliberate contrast. On the one hand, you have the religious fakes, the scribes, who who loved attention and uh, the praises of people, but they were phonies. They devoured widows' houses, and Jesus speaks a word of condemnation. On the other hand, you have the seemingly insignificant, the widow, and she's sincere, she's sacrificial, she clearly loves the Lord, and the Lord Jesus speaks a word of commendation. And so this morning, let's see what lessons we might learn from the scribe and the poor widow. But first, let's read our passage beginning in Luke chapter 20, verse 45. Let's give attention to the hearing of God's word. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. (coughs) So, these two groups of people religious fakes, and Jesus says they're worthy of condemnation, but another class of people represented by this poor widow, and Jesus says, look at her, she's worthy of commendation. There's basically two lessons for us to take away from this passage. One we learn from the scribe, one we learn from the widow. So here's lesson number one. The lesson is how to be uh, less impressive than you think. That's lesson number one, how to be less impressive than you think. And lesson two is how to be more exemplary than you seem. So let's, con- let's consider the first big lesson, how to be less impressive than you think. And there are basically three ways you can do that, as we see it exemplified here by the scribes. Number one, number one way to be less impressive than you think, live for the attention and praise of others. You see these scribes, they, they like to wear these long robes. These are special robes. Think of the white robes that come all the way down to the ground that identify these scribes as public teachers, people of significance. Now, it wasn't necessarily wrong that they were wearing these robes, but that they loved what the robe said about them. I'm significant, I'm important, I'm to be recognized, I'm, I'm an authority, I'm to be respected. 
The robe said something about them, and they loved it. And they loved greetings in the marketplace, Jesus says. Not, hey, Mr. Scribe, how are you doing today? There was an unwritten rule that when a, you know, a scribe walked down Main Street and you were seated, you would stand up and you would say something like, uh, ah, teacher, master. You, you, would, you would give some form of respect in recognizing their presence. Blessed teacher, blessed rabbi. Again, nothing necessarily inherently wrong with titles. It's not the titles per se, but the problem is this is what these guys lived for. They, they could walk down the street and people would hail them. Ah, blessed teacher. And it built up their ego. It puffed them up and they loved all of the attention. And dear friends, we must, remem- we must remember this. We need to beware Because we all face the temptation of living for the praise and attention of others. You can can give an appearance of importance and win great notoriety. You you can do it in all sorts of ways. You can do it with teaching. You can do it with music. You can do it with other gifts. You can even do it with service in the Christian community. You know, this person who goes around serving all of the time, and people are saying, just look at him, he has such a servant's heart, look at her, she just serves and serves, and inwardly they're thinking, yeah, it's about time somebody recognizes this. You know, we we must beware of this danger, living for the attention and praise of others. In the world, people find all kinds of ways to do this, but we need to recognize the fact that we are not immune from this within the household of faith. In fact, I think it just becomes more subtle because we learn to mask seeking the recognition and praise of others with seeming Christian virtues. So here's the first way to be less impressive than you think. To live for the praise and attention of man. Here's the second way to be less impressive than you think. Be confident in your significance. These scribes, they they loved the best seats in the synagogue. You know, there was the, <coughs> the temple, <coughs> excuse me, in Jerusalem. People would go there, pilgrimages once a year. But in local communities, you had synagogues where people would gather for Sabbath worship. Plain building, unfinished floor, Torah would be read, somebody would stand up and teach. Sometimes people would just be seated on the ground or they would have common benches that people would sit in. But they also often had these seats of honor that uh, scribes would be permitted to sit in. So you can, you can imagine the scene. Everyone is seated on the ground or on these common benches. And here are these scribes up front in a, uh, a place of prominence, a place of recognition. And they're just soaking it in. They loved these special seats. James talks about this kind of thing in James chapter 2. You remember, we covered this recently with Pastor Dave during the evening services. And James is saying, look, you're, you're showing favoritism when you gather together in, in synagogues, giving people certain seats. You know, when a rich person comes in, you say, ah, we have just the place for you. Come on over here and sit in this place of honor. But when a poor person comes in and you know it, you say, yeah, your, your place is, sit down on the ground with everybody else or on the bench. Actually, maybe, maybe sit in the back. That's where you belong. 
James condemns that kind of favoritism. So these scribes wanted the special seats because they were sure of their importance and significance, and they wanted everybody else to be sure about it too. Jesus says they also wanted to be honored at feasts. Now, this was a big deal in the ancient world. It was a big deal where you were seated at meals. You remember, was it back in Luke 14, I think, when uh, Jesus is invited over for uh, uh, a feast at Pharisee's home, and Jesus is standing there as a spectator, and he's watching all of these religious leaders try to get to the seats of honor which is as close to the host as you can get. And Jesus takes that as an opportunity to to teach about the ways of the kingdom of God. But there's an example of of what Jesus is talking about. These scribes who will run over one another to get the seat of honor and be recognized on public occasions. I was thinking, as I was thinking about this passage during the week, my mind went to Philippians chapter 2. And you remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. It's what we do as Christians by the grace of God. That is, with the mind of Christ Jesus, what we are learning to do as Christians is to count our brothers and sisters as more significant than ourselves. But isn't it easy... Isn't it easy for us instead to carry ourselves in such a way that we communicate we know we're really significant. Right? We, you, maybe, maybe you know, you know you're, you're a really good student. You're really good looking. You're, uh, you're gifted athletically. Maybe artistically, intellectually musically, your family's really well put together, things just always seem to go your way, you're established, you've made it, and you know it, and then we start with the mental comparisons, and we walk around internally computing on all of our social calculators, determining the social strata, who's important, who's not important. Dear friends, being a Christian means that you stop with that internal computing, and you learn to count everyone as more significant than yourself. That means there's no place for boasting. You You don't boast in your accomplishments. You don't boast in your family. You don't boast in your smarts. You don't even boast in your church. Because what do you have that you did not receive, as Paul says? And so the upside-down virtue of the Christian faith is this. You seek to honor instead of be honored. Now that is the complete opposite of everything our culture communicates to us. To pursue honor and the glorification of self. You deserve it is the message you're hearing day in and day out. But the Christian doesn't exist to be honored but to give honor to others. And here's the third way you can be less impressive than you think. Be a spiritual fraud. Be a fake. You know, scribes, they also dealt with legal matters. And what Jesus brings into the open here is they found ways of creaming off the best from widows in legal transactions. 
See, they were lining their own pockets by taking advantage of widows, and they were doing it when God had said in his word, my people and especially my leaders will have a special care for widows and orphans and the like. It's no wonder Jesus goes on to say, their condemnation is great. So listen, <coughs> listen closely, please. You know, people get really nervous whenever pastors start talking about money. And we're going to do that in just a minute when we think about the poor widow. But first, let's hear this loud and clear. Shame, shame, shame on anyone who cares about your money and not your soul. And worse, shame and condemnation upon anyone who pretends to care about your soul in order to get to your money. And that's the kind of thing Jesus is condemning here. He speaks a word of condemnation over these leaders. But we passed over one thing, and that's their prayers. They offer long prayers, Jesus says. Nothing, by the, by the way, nothing wrong with long extended prayers, except their prayers were just mere pretense. Nothing more than a show. There's nothing Jesus hated more than religious fakes. I think, we need to be, I think we need to be careful and clarify what we mean by religious fake. What is a religious fake? A fake or a hypocrite is not the person who does the right thing even though they don't feel like doing it in the moment. That's not hypocrisy. That's maturity. That's called growing up. It's um, what your parents desire for you as you get older. You know, maybe you've heard the excuse, something like, oh, well, I'm not going to go to church today because I'm not really feeling like going, and if I go, and I'd just be a hypocrite. No, that's, that's called being faithful. That's called learning to do what you know is the right thing to do even when you don't feel like doing it. And sometimes the Lord blesses you in the doing of it, and the feeling follows but here, this is the hypocrite, someone who puts on a mask or a show to fool people into thinking they are something they are not. That's what a hypocrite is. That's why they pray these long, elaborate prayers so that the people think, wow, wow this guy is really godly. He's like a super spiritual. I, I can't ever imagine praying a prayer like that. But Jesus says it's all really just a sham. There's a little bit of self-examination, and I think this needs to be directed, first of all, at people who are engaged in public prayers, therefore myself. Are my prayers for God, or are they for others? I always have to check myself, and I hope you're always checking yourself. And am I praying so that God will hear and respond, or am I praying so that people will hear and ooh and awe? Oh, wow, what a, what a great prayer. Did you, did you hear that prayer? I wish I could pray like that. You know, really the root question is this. This is a question I want us all to ask ourselves this morning. Is it really, really important to you to be viewed as spiritually mature? Is it really important to you that People think you've made great advances in your Christian walk. Is that really important to you? If it is, you're, you're going to be led into, I think, all sorts of bad places where you end up living for others. We, we end up living in a prison of our own making. 
If you could, I think if you could just get into the inner thought life of a lot of question, uh, Christians, there are questions like this swirling around in their, in their heads. Did they, did they notice that? I wonder what people thought about that. I wonder what people thought of that prayer. I wonder if anybody noticed my service. Did anybody take notice of, of my gifts? Am I being honored? Am I being recognized? How did I just pray? How did I just come across? What do those people think about me? What do they think about my family? How are my children being perceived? What impression am I giving to my fellow believers? It creates a prison of our own making. So friends, let's, let's learn the difference, the, the difference, the crucial difference between a blessed self-forgetfulness on the one hand and a cursed self-absorption on the other. Isn't it refreshing? You, you, you know what it's like to get to know somebody who, who is blessedly self-forgetful. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not just caught up in themselves and their life and what's going on. They don't just talk and talk and talk and talk about themselves and never actually think about anyone else. They're not obsessed either with what others think about them. They're not preoccupied with making sure they're recognized and honored. But sadly, some Christians live in this self-imposed prison of self-absorption, constantly judging, figuring out how they're being perceived, vying for attention and recognition. My friends, we must beware of this temptation, the sin of the scribes. Always, always be vigilant against this to give the appearance of godliness when it is nothing more than a means of self-promotion. So that's lesson number one. <clears throat> How to be less impressive than you think. <clears throat> Jesus is warning us, don't be like these scribes. And here are three ways that you can be less impressive then you think, live for the attention and praise of others. Be confident in your own significance. And be a spiritual fraud. Now, let's, uh, let's look at the second lesson. Because Jesus now draws our attention to this poor widow. And the second lesson is how to be more exemplary than you seem. How? I don't have three lessons here. Just one big idea that we're going to try to unpack along the way. Here's how. Live a life of self-denial instead of self-promotion out of love and devotion to the Lord. I'm sure you could find a better way of summarizing that, but that's how I'm putting it right now. Out of love and devotion for the Lord, live a life of self-denial, not self-promotion. Jesus looks up and remember he's at the temple. He sees a widow giving an offering and he speaks this word of commendation. Now, how, it's interesting. How did Jesus notice her? Because there are all these people. You've got 13 collection boxes at the temple. And they're shaped kind of like, uh, kind of like trumpets. You know, big at the top and they get more narrow. And you put your money in at the top. It goes down. How did, how did Jesus notice her in the midst of all of these people coming and giving offerings at the temple? Jesus could even tell which people were giving out of uh, their abundance. Now, we don't know that today, right? When the offering plate goes around, everybody's offering looks the same because we're giving in checks or we're 
placing some cash in an envelope or whatever. So how did Jesus see the difference here and recognize that she was giving out of her poverty? Well, I think one of the things is simply because they didn't have paper, paper money. Just imagine if all we had were coins. Don't you think you'd notice the difference between somebody giving five bucks of quarters dropping that into the offering plate versus somebody dropping $500 worth of quarters into the offering plate. I mean, that would drop to the ground, draw a lot of attention. So when the wealthy gave, you you imagine they're coming with these bags of coins and dropping them down these trumpets, and it was making lots of noise. Here's the wonderful thing about this story, though. What, what, What does Jesus notice? This is what I love about this story so much. What gets Jesus' attention? It's this poor widow who drops two copper coins into the collection box. Lepta amounts to really just a couple of bucks in our currency. It's just a tiny amount. And really, from our perspective, if you put that amount in our offering today, it's not going to have a huge impact on our maintaining our church budget. And if you fail to put that $2 into the offering plate uh, we're not going to fail to meet our church budget. That, that's how the world would look at it. But that's not how Jesus sees it. And Jesus says, this woman has put in everything she had. And then he turns to his disciples and says, I want you to know that this woman, hear this, this woman has given more than all of them combined. And I want you to see that she has given out of her poverty. You can see, in other words, that what she has given was an act of love and devotion to the Lord because it cost her something. So, my friends, it's not how much you give. Here's here's probably how you learn this story growing up in maybe Sunday school class or at home and and studying the word with your parents. Maybe your, your dad sat you down and taught you this story and said, okay, son, Okay, daughter, this is, this is the big lesson of this story. It, it's, it's not how much you give that really matters. It's, it's what's in your heart. Now, that's true. That's true. The only thing is, what's in your heart is expressed in what you give and how you give. Because you see, there's something, there's something about possessions and money It is such a challenge to break free from the addiction and the love of money and to begin to view our money and our possessions through the lenses of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus uses this dear widow to spell it out for us, to help us as his disciples. And one of the lessons he's teaching us here is the Lord does not count the giving of his people the same way that we do. He doesn't use the same math. You know, some of us, some of us could give large amounts of money to support the work of the church, and the Lord could actually look upon somebody giving much, much less, and at the end of the day, say about that person who's giving less, they have given so much more. And the Lord And his free sovereignty is able to employ that gift given from a heart devoted to him to build his kingdom, to spread his gospel, to bring honor and glory to his name. So don't think think that God's providential rule 
stops when the offering is dropped into the plate. Don't, don't you think that if God's superintendence of all things is such that his eye is upon the sparrow, he knows the number of hairs upon our heads, that he, he rules over every molecule and atom in all of creation, don't you think then that he has his eye on how the contributions of his people are used and how they're employed? And that what he's looking for is not simply bottom line amounts. What's this mean for a church? At the end of the day, it means you could have a church with an enormous millions of dollars budget that has no impact for Christ in the world. And you could have a church, on the other hand, with a very minimal budget, very meager budget that the Lord chooses to richly bless. And so it's as though Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you could just see the way God sees, you would see that God is going to do wonderful things through this woman's offering. They, they gave hundreds. She gave a couple of bucks. But from God's perspective, she gave more than all of them combined. And therefore, what the Lord will do with what she gave will be more wonderful than what all of the other gifts put together. And so Jesus is teaching us that, that the amount is not the most important thing to him. But, but he's also, I think, I think it's clear, he understands that the amount is very often the most important thing to us. Because that's just the way, that's the way we think. You know, instead of, instead of offering, instead of giving to the work of the church, works of mercy, missions and outreach... We, we tend to, we, we, instead of viewing it as an act of devotion and an act of love to the Lord, a part of discipleship, we, we reduce giving to a, a line item on our budgets. I'm not against having a budget. You should have a budget. And I'm not against having a designated amount that you will contribute to giving. So don't mishear me. But we, I think we're prone to think, you know, here's the money for this and this and this and this and this. And then at the end of the day, here's, here's what I have to give to the Lord. I think that's how we're prone to think about giving. But here's the lesson that Jesus wants to teach his disciples. Our giving at the end of the day is really about loving the Lord. It's really about our love and devotion to the Lord. If we're just writing a check and we have not love, think about this in terms of 1 Corinthians 13. Just cutting a check and we have not love and we're just sort of impersonally dropping some money into the offering plate or giving to this mission work or, or, or this individual on the mission field and we have not love, what are we? Paul says, in the eyes of the Lord, we're nothing. Nothing. And there's an important lesson here about generosity. Let's think, think about this with me for a minute. Generosity, according to Jesus, is not measured by the amount of the gift, but the cost to the giver. Generosity, according to Jesus, is not measured by the amount of the gift, but the cost to the giver. A wealthy person may give a lot, but that's not necessarily generosity, according to Jesus, if all they're doing is giving out of their wealth. He's not condemning that. He's just saying that's not generosity. Generosity involves self-denial. It includes giving to the point that it costs the giver something. 
Friends, when was the last time we, we gave to help a brother or sister or advance a mission work to the point where it really cost us something? Changing our plans, delay in vacation plans. Maybe we, maybe we don't get the car that we plan to get next year and we hold that off for another two or three years. When was the point that we gave, or when was the last time we gave to the point where it cost us something? Think about Paul and what he has to say in 2 Corinthians 8 about generosity. He speaks about the giving among the churches of Macedonia. Uh, these Christians, they themselves were facing some severe tests and living under what Paul calls extreme poverty. Nevertheless, when they heard about the needs of the saints, Paul says they overflowed in a wealth of generosity giving according to their means, and as Paul testifies, beyond their means by their own accord. Paul actually goes on to say, they begged for the favor of taking relief, taking part in the relief of the saints. It's remarkable. They gave to the point that cost them something. They denied themselves to give to others out of love for the Lord. That is generosity. It's generosity that we see here with this poor widow. Certainly, as Jesus says, she gave out of her poverty. She gave all she had. It came with a cost. I like what Calvin says. Calvin says, the chief sacrifice God requires of us is self-denial. That's in a sense, good news, because it means that rather, whether we're rich or poor, we all can deny ourselves. Now, there's just one final thing I want to say, because I think if we passed over this, we'd be missing an important theme that we see throughout Scripture, but also in the ministry of Jesus. Did you notice the, that widows are mentioned in, in both stories? Jesus condemns the scribe, for devouring the houses of widows. And then in the second story, Jesus commends the sacrificial giving of the poor widow. That leads me to say Jesus' eye is on the widow, that Jesus cares about widows because he's the God of widows and orphans. You know, there can be something about being a widow that may leave one feeling as though, you know, life is all but over for me. That she doesn't matter so much anymore. That she can't be all that she once was for others. And I just want to say, I think what this passage is teaching us is that Jesus doesn't overlook widows. In fact, just the opposite. He pays very careful, loving attention to widows and widowers and those like them. And then everything that they give to him as an act of devotion, Jesus says he multiplies beyond all imagination. And you know, I think if you, if you know something about the Lord, if you've been a disciple of the Lord Jesus for a while and you've gotten to know him better, when you hear that, you think, yeah, that's not really surprising. That sounds just like my Lord Jesus. That's the kind of thing he loves to do. Because this is the kind of wonderful Savior that our Father 
has given to us. But one other thing, I mean, Jesus is giving this story to teach his disciples. Let's remember, dear friends, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the end of discipleship is conformity to our master. So I wonder if, if, you, would, if you would join me in saying that just as the Lord Jesus has a special love and care for widows and those like them, that we as a church and what we say and what we do want to communicate the same. That we have a special love for widows and those like them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us such a wonderful Savior. And we thank you for the way in which the gospel sets us free from being centered upon ourselves. And we pray that you would enable us by your grace to offer ourselves to you freely and wholly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.